0: So afternoon, we make our way to Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism and the ninth Lord's Day, the ninth Sunday of the year as you go through 52 weeks. We come to the beginning of the Apostles' Creed being spelled out line by line, and that's beginning with God the Father and our creation. So let's read Lord's Day 9, uh, page 525 of the Book of Praise. There we have a summary of one of the lines of the Apostles' Creed. Lord's day nine. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that's in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He's able to do so as almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. So there's a summary of what the church would agree on, that God is our father in heaven. Following the sermon, we will sing hymn 61. Brothers and sisters loved by Jesus Christ our Lord, there's, there's an important message that God is our Father. There's a lot of reasons why we need to have this message. Reminded, uh, brought to us again and again. And God made Himself our Father for several reasons for Himself, for Jesus Christ, and for us. So I'm going to summarize the sermon this way the message I'm bringing. God has made Himself our Father, and we're going to look at three points. First of all, for Himself, that we would know Him as Creator. Secondly, for Christ, because Christ came, that we would know God as our Father. And thirdly, for us, for our conviction that we would certainly believe that God is for us. So let's go through the first point. God has made himself our Father for himself, for his own glory. And it's that identity of God, who God is, that needs special attention in this Lord's Day. There's a whole description of God that is inside a sentence. And I'm not sure if you gathered it as I was reading the Catechism. It's such a long sentence, but embedded in the middle is this core piece. The sentence itself is, For the sake of Christ his Son, God has become my God and my Father in there, you have this whole nugget that for the sake of Christ his son, God has become, and who is this God? Who out of nothing created heaven and earth and still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence. We need a proper understanding of God as our creator. We need to know his might and his power. We need to know his wisdom. If we're going to have appreciation for God, we need to know him as creator. So, yeah, you, you could hear this word that God is creator. And you say, well, I guess that means in six days he made heavens and earth. And uh, there you go. But the whole point with God telling us about the origins of the earth and how he continues to keep things going is that we would be in awe of him. That we would worship him. We need to know God as our creator so that we have some idea that He is different from us. That even in paradise, when everything was running smoothly, Adam and Eve living there in a perfect environment, that there was already a difference between God as creator and us as creation. God is not creation. That's one of the first things that has to cross our minds when you hear that God is our creator. He is not the creation. Because all around us, there are, there are societies that believe that God is creation. And so they worship creation. They think that the, everything comes from creation, everything returns to creation. And that is God, and it's been there for, forever, for billions of years. But God is not creation. And then some people think that God is alongside, on the same level as creation, like he is embedded in creation. as though God has lowered himself to be alongside his creation so that he could empathize with it, so that he could feel sad when there's some natural disaster, some hurricane or or flooding. The truth is, God is over and above all that he has made. God doesn't apologize for his power and his wisdom and his might. Think of the book of Job. One of those difficult books where he, uh, a man who's righteous, who's in a good relationship with God, he's wrestling with God, and he's struggling, struggling to know why God has made him suffer so much. And what's, what's the answer, like the crescendo at the end of the book? God answers him and says, I'm creator. It's something you will never be. Are you creator? Have you been where the goats are up on the mountains? Have you seen the young ones being born there? Have you seen where the snow is being made? The rain in the clouds? Are you creator? And there's this humbling effect at the end of the book of Job that really Job has, has no choice but to retreat and say, yes, God, you are, you are God the creator. I'm not. There's this way that God laughs at us in all our pride. The wisest man wants to talk back to God is actually such a tiny person. Do you have any clue? You realize how childlike you are before God, the Father, the Creator? You don't even scratch the surface of understanding His universe, never mind controlling it and predicting and the point is, God shows himself as our creator so that we would know him to be wise and powerful and awesome. Something that's captured when he says, I'm your father. Remember when you were a child and you looked up to your dad and you said, now he is, he's everything. He can do anything. Well, that's the level of respect we need to return to before God, our father. Point is, if you're new to this, teaching that God is your Father, or if this is the hundredth time you've heard God is your Father, your Creator, this, this part should humble you that God has created you and you'll owe Him every breath. Your purpose here is to glorify Him. This is an important starting point. What you have in common with other people, you have in common with neighbors, with unbelievers, you have this common ground. God created you, God created me. What does God get from that very teaching? God created you, God created me. Does he get any glory, any recognition, any honor? God will call each of us to account. He created us differently than the animals. How are we different from other parts of creation? You have a heart. You have a soul, mind. God is asking you to love him with heart, soul, and mind, all your strength. Think of it this way. God is our creator. He could make stones cry out. Remember how Jesus said that? The stones could cry out and praise me. God could do that for any part of his creation. He can get them to praise him for who he is as creator. Instead, God has the crowning work of his creation cry out. He's given us voices to do it. He's given us language so that we can go into uncharted territory and and confess who God is as our Father and Creator. We We can speak of wisdom, abstract language like that. We can talk about His power and His might. If you don't have humility before God, if you don't worship Him, You're failing the purpose for which He has created you. And God reserves eternal suffering for you if He gets no glory from you. People have hearts, minds, attitudes, and voices so that we would praise God for Himself, for who He is, And this is the point. God the Father, our Creator, has made us for His glory. And the only way that God gets the glory is if we live for Him without begrudging Him His honor, without backtalk and without dragging our feet. Now the rest of... Let's go to Lord's Day 9 for a moment. The rest of Lord's Day 9 speaks of God upholding and governing all things by His eternal counsel and providence. That will get more attention. We've got to reserve that for some Lord's Day 10 coming up. How he upholds and governs things by his eternal counsel and providence. But notice this point here. That as our creator and our unique position in creation, God gets the glory. So our Lord Jesus made that point in Luke 12. What's your unique position in creation? How are you different from the lilies of the field? Or the ravens, the birds. So, Jesus says, as creator, God keeps the ravens, He keeps them alive, even though they, they're not doing the same, same things you are, like building storehouses or barns. Yet God feeds them. As creator, think about the flowers of the field. God clothes the lilies. He makes them beautiful. Those flowers of the field have such beauty yet they hardly last a day or two, and then they're they're thrown in the furnace for for making clay or pottery. That grass gets burned up. But the point is, Jesus Christ is making in Luke 12 is that if God is your creator and you're in a tighter, close relationship than, than anything else on creation in creation, you have a close relationship with your Father. Are you not more valuable than birds? And flowers. So why do you worry? Why are you anxious? Have you lost sight of God as your creator? Do you think that your food or drink or your clothes are an afterthought to him? Look at his identity. He's your powerful creator. He's all-wise, all-knowing. Don't you think he cares for you? Our first point, God is our creator. Let's go to our second. First, it was for himself, that he would get the glory. Secondly, for Christ. He's become our father for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's like straight out of the Catechism derived from the scriptures. After God created all things, the first parents, Adam and Eve, they rejected God as creator. They didn't want to listen to him. Adam and Eve didn't want to glorify God. They, they chose death instead of humbling themselves. God had said, in very clear warning, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And this this now is a gospel preached. When you hear that God is your father, it's coming to a people who are spiritually dead, people who have rejected and fallen away from God in his rightful position. We said, no, I'd rather be in control here. I'd rather decide what's right and wrong. And so the good news of this Lesson is coming to people who have disowned God, who are like the prodigal son, who'd rather have an inheritance than having a father. Now let's go to that main sentence of Lord's Day 9, because even though it's a long sentence, you can shorten it like this. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. The eternal Father of heaven and earth, because of Christ, has become my Father. And the reason here is Christ. There's a relationship going on. God the Father is not only our creator, but He's our recreator. Because of Christ, we now have this bond and this relationship, this covenant, that God is our Father because of Christ. And Jesus Christ is invested in this message. He wants each of us to go back to that message. Do you know the relationship you have with God the Father? So that's why I read Luke 12, verses 32. Uh, That's that's one that needs some focus. Luke 12, verse 32. It shows this relationship that you have with God the Father because of Christ. Fear not little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's so comforting about this message from Jesus Christ is that He is trying to get us to understand what God as Father is all about. You're in relationship with Him. And Jesus Christ is blending three different pictures of a relationship so that you would know that God is close, that he is caring. He speaks of a flock, a kingdom, and a father. So you could say family. And the reason you have nothing to be anxious about is because Jesus Christ has restored that relationship so that you are like a shepherd and sheep. That flock illustration, so that you are part of his kingdom, so that you are part of his family. Listen to the tenderness in that passage of Luke 12, of Jesus Christ in front of the crowd, and he begins with saying, fear not, little flock. Who's the good shepherd? Jesus Christ? And who keeps his sheep? Jesus Christ. Think of John 10. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So, who's the keeper of the sheep? Who who keeps us? Jesus is saying, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Fear not, little flock. You're not a helpless bunch of sheep. You belong to the good shepherd. There's that relationship. And it's not a democratic relationship. Yeah, I'd like to have him as my shepherd. You're in that relationship because of Jesus Christ. You belong to the Father who has become your Father through Jesus Christ. So this sheep and shepherd relationship is first in Luke 12, verse 23. Jesus Christ wants us to know that we're in that committed relationship because of God. He's your shepherd. The next part, the next illustration is that Jesus is explicitly saying... You are children of the Father. Jesus says, fear not, and you catch this, fear not little flock is the first part, but then, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And did you hear the word Father? Jesus is explicitly saying, He's your Father and not just mine. And for the sake of Christ means that because of Christ coming to earth, we need to hear Him say, I have a father, and I've come to make sure that you have a father, you are together in the same family, you have a father who actually has good pleasure, think about that, there are so many dysfunctional families, maybe you know, a dysfunctional family, and yet you hear Jesus Christ say, fear not little flock, your father has some good pleasure, You don't have a grumpy, stingy, cranky Father in heaven. And because of Jesus Christ, you have a Father who is pleased with you already before you've done anything. Because of Jesus Christ, you have a Father who's in a right relationship with you. You don't have to earn that or keep it. He has done it for you. Because of Christ, God is your Father. Jesus Christ wants you to know that relationship. So he's preaching that in Luke 12. But there's a third relationship. Besides being shepherd and father, you have verse 23 saying, He's your God and King. There's a lot packed in one verse. You see that... And you hear, he will, he, God the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And now you just e- extract that message, that He's pleased to give you the kingdom, uh, you're, you're realizing there's a third relationship going on. That God is Father who is King. You're reminded of His authority, but not in a bad way. He's pleased to give you something with all that authority. He's King not of darkness and, and death that would have been ours because of, of sin, but of life and joy and light. This kingdom of life is ours. And our Lord Jesus Christ establishes these relationships of father and, and shepherd and king. And all of this, you know, we breeze through It's so quickly in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. But we've touched on this. This comfort that God is king who has heirs. It means you're princes, princesses. For your good, he's giving you the kingdom. So you catch all this. Because of Christ Jesus, for the sake of Christ, God is your Father. And you're back in relationship, in the family, in the flock, in the kingdom. That's why Christ came. Now let's go to our third point here. We need to see the purpose of all this. We we already covered lots of that in the first point. For the sake of God himself. But let's look at this. Third point, his goal is our conviction that it's for us to be convicted, to be sure and assured. The message that God is our Father is so that we uh, would be changed in our hearts. That's, That's why we're told about God being our Father. To be changed in our hearts is something we were reading in Luke 12, and our Lord Jesus was speaking of treasures in our hearts. Our hearts have treasures either on this earth or the treasures in heaven. And our treasure is either temporary, if it's on earth, or it's eternal. So, for those who are anxious over the food or drink or clothes or relationships, Jesus is saying, Start with what is eternal, the eternal treasure. Seek first that kingdom. That relationship with God the Father, your King, your Good Shepherd, your Father. And all these things, like what you worry about, will be yours as well. Christ's point is, get this idea of Father to settle in your heart and soul. Let that conviction that He cares for you as a Father, let that settle in. So, Lord's Day 9, now, if you come to that next paragraph, it's driving this home, this whole conviction thing, right home. Something that a child can say very confidently, especially when you were younger, you would say this. In Him, that's in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, I trust so completely as to have no doubt that He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity He sends me in this life of sorrow. And that conviction is not out of place. It's not overconfident. It's based on the reality of everything that Jesus Christ has been teaching in Luke 12. If the treasure of your heart is eternal, that relationship that He has restored, that you now are on good terms with God the Father, that Christ is your good shepherd, that the kingdom of God is yours, then then these temporary treasures, food, drink, clothes... They're in his hand. He's got that under control. So this confession's not out of place. Saying, in him I trust so completely. I get it. He'll have that. He'll take care of it. Your income, your health, your family relationships, your romantic relationships, peace in this world, they're all in his fatherly hand. That quiets down a lot of anxiety about the future. And this is the point. If you want to remember something from this afternoon, God has become our Father, and He's drilling that point in so that we would have a childlike faith, this conviction summarized there. He's able to care for us. I get it. He's able to care for us, and the good thing is He's willing to care for us as a faithful father. Do you get a sense of the mind of God? You're not having to earn a relationship with God. It's come through Jesus Christ. He's able to care for you as Almighty God. Almighty God can do anything. But He's eager and willing to care for you. As a father, because as a father, he sent Jesus Christ to restore that relationship with you. So brothers and sisters, to wrap it up, God the Father, it's an important teaching. Don't don't just rattle through the words, God, Almighty Father in heaven. God is your father because that's how he's getting glory that he deserves. Remind yourself of that might of God. And God is getting glory from this expression that he is our father because of Jesus Christ. For the sake of Christ who came to restore that relationship. And thirdly, that was our our last point so that we would be changed in our hearts and have more conviction. He tells us, I am your Father. Amen.